0: amen we are beginning a new collection today well actually we're diving back into a collection that we began earlier this year called essentials basically we're talking about what are the things that are absolutely essential to our lives of faith what are the things that we cannot do without and during that season we focused on the theme of prayer Well, we're so excited that we're diving back into the Essentials Collection. And in this season, we're going to focus on Scripture. Yes scripture. We're going to talk about what is the Bible. We're going to explore different ways of interacting with scripture. We're going to talk about wrestling with scripture. We're even going to hold a church-wide memory verse contest. Shout out to Lisa. I know she's going to have a leg up because she's like a national champion or something, but we are basically going to be diving deeper into the topic of scripture, and our heart really is that God would reinvigorate our passion and our love for the word of God. Y'all ready for that? Listen, even preparing for this message, I feel the Spirit already moving in my own heart, and I really believe He's going to move our community to fall deeper and deeper in love with His Word. Now, I don't know if you know this, but we're described as being one of the most biblically illiterate generations, despising. Despite having more access to biblical translations and commentaries than any other generation, we literally have access to hundreds of translations from NIV to NKJV to ESV to MSG. There's even a Hawaii Pigeon version, right? There's so many translations, so many commentaries. We have so many resources, yet so many of us are biblically illiterate. And I think we all know that scripture is an essential part of our faith journey. But if we're to be real with ourselves, I think so many of us have trouble reading it. And maybe you tried reading it, but you just can't get into it. Or maybe you've tried reading it, but you find so many problems with portions of the text. You see slavery in the Bible. You see mass genocides, the oppression of women. Maybe you've had people use scripture against you. Whatever our baggage is with scripture, if we're serious about being a follower of Jesus, scripture is an essential part of our lives of faith. And so in this season, I really believe that God is going to stir our hearts to fall deeper in love with scripture and to access the life that he has promised us through it. Listen, before we get into the word, let me open us up in a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would begin moving in our hearts. We know that the Bible is so important. It is a foundational part of our faith. But we need your help. We've tried it our way. We've tried diving into scripture. We've tried reading it. We've hit roadblocks. We've hit walls. And we profess that we need you, Holy Spirit, so that we can read scripture the way it was intended to be read, so that we could tap into the life that you've promised us through it. So in this season, I pray that you would open up our hearts, regardless of what our history with this text is, would you open up our hearts to fall in love with your word in jesus name we pray amen now listen before we dive deeper into what exactly the bible is or how to read the bible or how to wrestle with the text i want us to start today by exploring one thing our posture towards the bible Uh, Typically, we see two postures in approaching the Bible, and I'm generalizing here, and even with these categorizations, I'm being very broad, but there's typically two postures in approaching Scripture. The first is liberal. You know, these people might say the Bible has some good principles, but it's also full of problematic rhetoric, And we're all about deconstructing the Bible. You know that's huge in our day and age, deconstructing the Bible. And there's nothing wrong, inherently wrong with deconstructing as long as you're willing to do the work reconstructing. And these people accept, we accept the parts that we like with this approach, but we reject the parts that don't align with us. And we accommodate the Bible to the culture of our day and age with the strong emphasis on contextualizing the text. Now this posture we have to understand takes the Bible seriously as human literature, but not as scripture, not as the very word of God. And so this liberal approach struggles with accepting the divine side of the Bible. And we cherry pick what we like, good principles, good ways of living, but we don't treat the Bible in reverence. We don't treat it as a sacred word of God. Now, the second posture or approach is what we call conservative. The Bible is what it is. Read it, obey it. Boom. For many of people who hold this approach, the Holy Trinity is no longer father, son, and spirit. It's father, son, and Bible, right? You've heard that said before. And basically this approach says it's clear it's easy to understand, and it gets the final say. its so, I don't know about you, but I still don't understand how people think this way. It's like, uh, have you read the Bible? I've been reading the Bible for 33 years, and I still have trouble understanding it. See, the problem with this oversimplified approach is that we still have the hard task of interpreting it. And so many people interpret this ancient text so differently. And I think it's extremely arrogant to think you have the monopoly on perfect theological interpretation. It's not as simple as just reading it and obeying it. The posture, this conservative posture takes the Bible very seriously as scripture, but not as human literature. It struggles with accepting the human side of the Bible, that there is context and contradictions that need to be worked out in fellowship. Now, both this liberal and conservative approach and posture towards Scripture causes us to approach Scripture with the wrong heart. Now, I want to propose to you that posture is more important than technique in approaching the Bible. You know, many of you know I skateboard and in in my golden days, in my glory days before I turned old and injured myself all the time. In my glory days, I remember there's this one trick that I really wanted to learn called a varial kickflip. Um I'll show you a video clip of it. It's it's a beautiful trick. You're basically doing like a pop shove it with the kickflip at the at the same time. And I remember I would spend months and months trying to learn this trick, but no matter what I did, I could not land the trick. I would try again and again. I would wear my tiny little legs out, trying again and again, jumping, flicking, doing it a 100 times every skate session, and I would still not be able to land it. And I thought I was doing everything right. But I remember my friend who could land the trick approached me and said, listen, you're doing the kick right. Everything looks great. But try this. Try posturing yourself a different way. Move your front foot closer back. Move your right leg right there. And just try it. Do exactly what you've been doing. And so I took his advice. I've been trying this trick for months. I moved my feet to the position that he recommended. I popped. I landed the trick first try, y'all. I was so hyped. I was so juiced. And it made me realize that even if you do the right movements, The right flips, the right kicks. If you don't start off with the right posture, it won't work. Listen, this is why I think golf is a demonic sport. This is why I cannot golf. I'm like Happy Gilmore. Like, I just can't get it down. Why? Because you can swing as hard as you can. But if you don't have the correct posture and stance you will not get anywhere. Listen, I've been to the range so many times and I cannot get it down. And even as hard as I swing, I can't make the ball go far. Why? Because I don't have the correct posture. And maybe some of us feel that frustration with scripture. We're swinging and swinging, but the ball is just not moving. And maybe the problem isn't in the swing, how hard we're trying, or in the technique Maybe it's in the posture. You see, when we read with the right heart posture, that of openness and yieldedness to God, scripture becomes one of the primary means by which the spirit of God forms us into the people we were always meant to be. It becomes the very source of life for us. Doesn't that sound amazing? Don't you want that? I know I do. I'm gonna check this out. Listen. The Pharisees knew the Bible. And if you remember, the Pharisees was a group of religious people in Jesus's day that knew the scripture in and out. Like from the moment they were born, they were studying, memorizing, reciting scripture. In fact, the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah had to be completely memorized by the time they entered into adolescence. And so these people knew every single word. They knew the stories. They knew the scripture. But yet Jesus, in John 5, 39 through 40, he says this to a group of Pharisees. He says this, you study the scriptures diligently. They're swinging hard. They're studying. They're memorizing. They know these words. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Get this, they read and studied and memorized and meditated the text, yet they somehow missed the point. They knew the words of God so well, but they had not yet encountered the word of God that was right there in front of them. Get this. This is going to blow your mind. John 1, 1. It starts with this. In the beginning was what? Was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. You know, some of you might be confused. What does it mean that Jesus is the word of God? Is he made out of words? Like, what, what does it mean? What, is, what does it mean that Jesus is the word of God? It simply means this, everything in this book, everything in this holy text points to him. Every Old Testament story, every psalm, every head-scratching picture in Revelation points to Jesus, the word of God. In other words, the words of God found in scripture were always meant to reveal the word of God, Jesus Christ And if we're reading the words of God in scripture, but we're not encountering the word of God, Jesus Christ, we're just like these Pharisees. We have missed the point. And when we don't have the right posture, these are just words. And listen, words are powerful, but words aren't enough to transform the human soul. Only Jesus is. But when we approach scripture with the right heart, with the right posture, all of a sudden the words of God lead us to an encounter with the word of God that changes everything. I tell this story so often, but I'm going to tell a part of it that I don't really focus on very much. But how I got called into ministry is a very unique story. I was in college. It was my 22nd birthday, I believe where I decided that I'm going to be holy this year. You know, I'm not going to have a birthday party. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm going to go to the mountains and I'm going to fast for the entire day. At the time, and I still do this, every birthday I ask God for a birthday gift. And so I was going to go up to the mountains fasting and I was going to spend time just waiting for God to give me the gift that he promised me for that year. I remember um, in in preparing to leave that morning, you know, actually Krista, We weren't dating at the time, but a couple of friends came by and dropped off a cake for me. Um, They knew I was fasting. They just ate the cake in front of me. So messed up, right? Um, But after they ate the cake, I decided to leave. I drove all the way to Prayer Mountain in the South Bay. Um, Up in the mountain alone, I rented out a cabin, and I was just there the entire day. And I was praying, God, what is your birthday gift for me? God, what do you have for me this year? And the entire day I spent praying, I spent reading scripture, I spent worshiping and listening, and nothing. And you know, it starts to get dark, and I already made up my mind, I'm going to spend the night there. Um, There's like no electricity, it's completely dark, I'm just going to be there by myself. There's this creepy black cat just walking outside stalking me, but I'm going to do it, God, because I know you have a gift for me. And so I kept praying and listening, God, what is your gift for me this year? Nothing. Nothing. And you know, the hours are winding down. It's almost midnight. It's like 10 p.m. Nothing. 11 p.m. Nothing. Five minutes till my birthday's over. I'm like, God, you have five minutes because now it's about to be March 25th. It ain't my birthday anymore. You're gonna give me a late birthday gift. I'm praying, God, give me a gift. Five minutes past, nothing. And late into the night, right before I'm about to sleep, way past midnight, I'm praying one more time. And I say, God, what is your gift for me? And all of a sudden, very clearly in my mind's eye, I see an image of a fish. And not just an ordinary fish. But you know those Korean fish ice creams with the red bean and the vanilla ice cream? I saw the image of that fish ice cream. And at first, I'm like, God, am I hallucinating because I'm hungry and I'm fasting? Why are you giving me this fish ice cream? I don't even like red bean that much. But I felt God clearly say, here's your gift. So I asked God, God, what does this mean? What does this ice cream fish mean? What does this red bean represent? What does this vanilla mean for my life? What is this? And immediately in that moment, God took me to a text in the Bible, actually a story that's found in every single one of the gospel accounts of Jesus feeding the 5,000. If you're familiar with the story, there's 5,000 plus people gathered listening to Jesus teach. And after he finishes teaching, he wants to feed them physically since he's already fed their souls. And so they're asking, is there anyone around that has food? A little boy walks up. He has five loaves of bread, two fish gives it to Jesus. Jesus multiplies it, feeds the 5,000 plus people. And I felt like God saying, I'm giving you this fish because in your mind, in the way that you see yourself, all you feel like you have is this tiny little fish ice cream to offer to the world. And you feel like you can't feed anyone with this fish ice cream. You can barely feed yourself. You'll still be hungry after. But he's saying, watch what happens when you place the little that you have in my hand. And he showed me an image of me placing that tiny little fish ice cream in his hand and he just began multiplying it and said, Mickey, if you give me the little that you have, I will feed the nations with what you give me. And I remember him saying, I'm calling you into full-time ministry and you don't have to have a truck full of fish or a factory full of bread. All you can bring is this tiny little fish ice cream, but when you give it to me, When you give me the little that you have, I know you feel like you don't have much to offer me. I will multiply it. And so I'm like, woo, best birthday gift ever. Wow. Because I was about to be a teacher. I was about to be an elementary school teacher. I was about to do this and that. But in that moment, I felt so clearly God say, give me your fish. Enter into the ministry. And give me what you have, and I will multiply it. Man, I went to sleep that night, juiced, hyped. I'm thinking the next day I'm about to enroll in seminary or something. I'm about to go for it, just launch my own church the next day. I wake up the next morning, and all of a sudden, doubt starts to creep in. Like, shoot, did I really hear from God? Like, maybe I'm just kind of putting things together in my own mind. Like, okay, sure, fish. Okay, what story in the Bible has fish? Okay, obviously Jonah. I'm not Jonah. So obviously it must be Jesus. Like, I started to rationalize things and maybe start to doubt that God actually spoke to me. I was wrestling with that the entire day. I got to a place where, like, okay, maybe I should wait a little more and just hear more from God um that night i just happened to be going to a revival service because like i told you during that season i was so holy y'all i go to revival service um at this revival service it was advertised as um jesus culture being there and so i only really went because i was going to hear jesus culture see kim walker chris quilele kalala whatever and i was just so excited to be led and worshiped by them so i show up And I read the fine print when I get there because a Screamo band comes up, not Jesus Culture. And, you know, they're leading us in Screamo worship. And they're like, look to the north. Praise Jesus. Look to the south. I've never heard Screamo worship before. It's crazy. We'll do it for you sometime. Kevin Libertino would be really hyped for that. Um, But I was waiting for Jesus Culture. They're not showing up. I read the fine print. It says, the founder of Jesus Culture, Banning Liebshire. I'm like, oh, man, I missed that. Like, I don't really know who Banning is. I came here for Kim Walker for worship. And so my expectation dropped. But as soon as Banning got up on stage, before getting into the word, he said, you know, before I open up the text, I just feel like I want to do an altar call. Is there anyone in here that is wrestling with their destiny, that is second-guessing God's calling on their lives? I'm like, whoa, God. What are you doing here? It's like, is there anyone who's doubting the call of God on your lives and you need a confirmation? I want you to come forward. So I'm like, woo! I'm hyped. I come up for, I'm like, yeah, I heard from God last night. I am called to be a full-time minister. I'm called to go into ministry. I'm called to be a pastor. And I have this incredible moment with God. Afterwards, I sit back down. I'm like, whoo, I am filled up. This blows my mind. Banning says, all right, let's finally get to the word. I'm going to open up the text. We're going to John. We're going to explore Jesus feeding the 5,000. I was floored. I was like, that's triple confir- triple rainbow, y'all. Triple confirmation. And I remember in that moment, I had known this story my entire life. Shoot, in Sunday school, I drew little fishes. I cut out cardboard breads. I, did, I knew this story, but I had never yet encountered the God of this story. Do you hear what I'm saying? I knew the words of God, but it wasn't until that moment where I encountered the word of God, where God took this scripture, took this passage and made it come alive. And I encountered Jesus in a radical way. This is what it means to approach scripture with the right posture that the words of God lead us to an encounter with the word of God. Now, what does the Bible say about the Bible? I know it seems kind of contradictory, but we have to understand what does Scripture say about the Bible? I want us to look today at 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. It says this, "...all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." In this passage, we find that the purpose of Scripture is for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So what? So that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the purpose of Scripture is to form us more and more into the image of God. Of Jesus. Now, biblical scholars call this spiritual formation. It's a term that we're going to use very often in this series. Spiritual formation is simply the act of Jesus transforming us, molding us more and more into the image of Christ. And so, when we approach Scripture with the right posture, we begin to be transformed from the inside out. The thing we have to understand is this. Our approach towards scripture needs to move from informational to formational. And I think many of us approach scripture informationally instead of formationally. All right right now, we live in the information age. We are constantly consuming information, bombarded by information. Shoot, last night, I went on a rabbit trail. I was watching YouTube videos about people climbing Mount Everest, and I'm watching these videos about Sherpas, the local people that live there that guide all these people up the mountains. Pretty much anyone who's climbed to the top of Everest did it with the help of Sherpas, and it was crazy. I was watching this one video. I was looking at a Sherpa. I'm like, man, he looks exactly like me. Am I part Sherpa? I don't know. And so I'm, I'm going down this rabbit trail. I'm learning so much about Mount Everest and Sherpas. And that's the kind of age we live in where we are consuming information constantly, whether it's meaningful or unmeaningful. And see, in an informational approach towards scripture, our goal is to get what we need as fast as possible so that we can have more control over our lives. In other words, informational reading is about trying to cover as much ground as fast as possible just to get the data that we need. To find that scripture that helps us weather through the storm. To find those, those verses that prove our point or justify our actions. To help us have control over our lives. But yet the spiritual formation is all about giving up control. And we hate that. Formational reading instead of informational reading is about slowing down. It's about quality over quantity. And it's about letting the scripture read us. See, informational reading is all about fulfilling my agenda. But formational reading is about surrendering my agenda. Informational reading is all about mastering the text. But formational reading is about letting the text master you. Scott McKnight, he writes this, God did not give the Bible so we could master him or it. God gave the Bible so we could live it, so we could be mastered by it. The moment we think we've mastered it, we have failed to be readers of the Bible. I think I told a story a while ago, but my pastor at the last church I was at, The first time I sat with him, he was asking, what season are you in? What's God doing in your life these days? And I remember I I had such a holy answer prepped. I I mean, I was like, I'm ready to share. In this season, I feel like God is calling me to dive deeper into Scripture, to really dissect the text and draw all I can from it. I'm like, oh, he's going to think I'm holy. Shoot, I'm just a new member. He's going to promote me to worship leader. He looks at me dead in the eye and says, Mickey. When you dissect a living thing, it dies. You cannot dissect Scripture. You must let Scripture dissect you. Woo! And essentially, what he was saying is when we approach the Scripture with our own agenda, when we approach it with our own attempts to master it, to draw from it, we are approaching with the wrong. Posture, formational reading causes us to lay down our plans, our agendas, our control. We stop using scripture and let scripture use us. Listen, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is not all about you. You know, I saw this uh, viral post circulating social media recently. It's called the Disney Princess Theology. Have you seen it? And this was written in the context of the current racial dialogue. It was actually written by a friend of a friend. And basically, this is what she writes. Erna Kim Hackett writes, White Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney princess theology. As each individual reads scripture, they see themselves as the princess in every story. They are Esther, never Xerxes or Haman. They are Peter, but never Judas. They are the woman anointing Jesus, never the Pharisees. They are the Jews escaping slavery, but never Egypt. For citizens of the most powerful country in the world who enslaved both native and black people, to see itself as Israel and not Egypt when studying scripture is a perfect example of Disney princess theology. And it means that as people in power, they have no lens for locating themselves rightly in scripture of or society and it has made them blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage issues of power and injustice it is some very weak bible work ooh and i know she's talking about white christianity but i think that she can, we can apply it broadly to us modern day believers Where we always think that we're the main character in every story. We're the underdog. We're the Davids fighting the Goliaths. We're Israel trying to escape Egypt. And shoot, sometimes we just have to acknowledge the hard truth that I'm not Mulan. I'm not Moana. Sometimes I'm not Rapunzel. I'm definitely not Ariel or Jasmine. Sometimes we have to realize that the text, the scriptures that we're reading is actually not all about us that the Bible scripture does not revolve around you. And only when we move from a me-centered posture toward the Bible to a God-centered posture, do we experience the life, joy, and peace that it promises. Only then are we transformed and form more and more into the image of Jesus Christ when we take the focus off of us. You see, scripture confronts all of our attempts to be the master of our own lives, to be the main character of this biblical story. It challenges all the ways we try to control and manipulate everything around us. But control is incompatible with spiritual formation. This is why Jesus said that it's in the laying down of your life where you will find it. In Hebrews 4.12, the author writes, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I think we all understand the idea of the word as a sword. But I think we too often assume that we are to be the wielders of that sword. And that we are called to cut others instead of letting it cut deep into our own souls. The problem is we so often use the sword for our own purposes and we try to control it. We try to wield it. Whenever we disagree with something, we try to find biblical texts that justify our beliefs or our actions. Whenever someone hurts us, we use biblical texts to justify how we're being oppressed or hurt. We always try to wield the sword for our own advantage. How often do we leverage scripture for our own agenda? How often do we use this sword to cut other people down? Listen, I've been a Christian for long enough to know that you can use scripture to justify almost any position, any ideology, any stance. I mean, Christians have used it to condone slavery. Christians have used it to oppress women. Christians have used it to start wars. The question is, are you using the sword to pierce others for your agenda, for your plans, for your control, or are you letting the sword pierce you? Are you giving up control? In college, I mean, many of you have probably seen those people that are on college campuses in different parts of the nation that hold up those signs, those very explicit signs that say things like, you know, God hates gays or, or things like you're going to hell. You know, a lot of people at that age, I was around 20, would fantasize about, I don't know, winning an NBA championship or getting going viral or something, I don't know, or being famous. But during that season my greatest fantasy was going up to those people and just owning them and just like mic dropping them, walking away and they're crying and they're repenting and coming back to the Lord. I'm like, yeah, that's right. And so I remember there's a season where I was really into Rabbi Zacharias, the late and great Rabbi Zacharias. If you've never seen any video or any teaching or any article about him, you have to check him out. He is a Christian apologetics uh, master pretty much. And he basically would defend the Bible so well. So I remember watching a bunch of rabbi videos and getting so pumped up. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go confront these guys with scripture. I'm going to defend the gospel, and I'm going to make them convert and, uh, and repent. And so I'm all hyped up. I'm all juiced up. I chose a day. I think it was during either my sophomore or junior year. On the way to class, I see one of these guys with the signs. You know, they're saying, God hates you. You're going to hell. Repent, all this stuff and that. And I remember walking up so cocky, like I, I was armed with scriptures, I was armed with all these arguments, and I started talking to this guy, we start getting into this debate, and this person straight up owns me, like he knew scripture way more than I did in my brief time studying Rabbi Zacharias, and we just kept going back and forth, and in the middle of the conversation, something hit me, and I felt almost like Holy Spirit was grieving. And I realized something. I was judging these people for using scripture to belittle others and attack others. At the same time, I was trying to use that very scripture to belittle them. And I realized, man, how often do we try to use scripture, leverage it for our own control, for our own agenda, for our own comfort. Robert Mulholland, he writes, the very thought of being conformed, which clearly implies that we are to be grasped, controlled, and shaped by someone other than ourselves, confronts our deeply ingrained sense of being. Graspers powerfully resist being grasped by God. Controllers are inherently incapable of yielding control to God. Manipulators strongly reject being shaped by God. Information gatherers are structurally closed to being addressed by God. Come on, how many graspers, controllers, manipulators, information gatherers are there in the house? I know I'm all of them. But we have extreme difficulty in abiding, in waiting patiently, trustingly, perseveringly, to be shaped by God according to God's agenda. Genuine spiritual formation reverses our role from being the subject who controls the objects of the world to being the object of the loving purposes of God, who seeks to control us for our perfect wholeness. Uh, Pay attention to this. Genuine spiritual formation brings about a fundamental shift From being our own production to being God's creation. Reading scripture is a silent surrender of everything to God. Reading scripture is giving up control. Reading scripture is saying, I am a horrible captain of my own life. I need someone else to lead me. We are giving up control. We are approaching scripture humbly laying down our agendas and our plans to say, God, I need you to mold me. I need the word of God to transform me and to give me life. And So this week, there's actually no grand action plan. You don't have to read the entire book of Matthew by next week. You don't have to memorize a bunch of Bible verses yet. We just want you to reflect on what your posture is in approaching the Bible. Have you been approaching the Bible as informational versus formational? Have you been putting yourself at the center of scripture? Have you been using scripture for your own agenda, for your own control, for your own plans? Listen, whatever your history is with the Bible, The question is this, will you approach it this season, laying down your agenda, laying down your preconceived notions and expectations, laying down your issues, laying down your need for control and to simply come with openness, with yieldedness, with humility, With the heart that says, I want to meet the word of God that these words of God profess. I don't want to be like the Pharisees who kept swinging and swinging and reading and memorizing and and tackling the scripture, all striving in my own effort, but completely missing the point of what the scriptures were about. Is that these words of God were meant to lead me to a revelation of the word of God, Jesus Christ. And will you trust him this season by trusting in scripture? I want to end with this quote by Andrew Wilson. He says this, Ultimately, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ, the man who is God, the king of the world, the crucified, risen, and exalted rescuer. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him and I've decided to follow him. So if he acts and talks as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too, even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my answers remain unpopular. I know some of you may struggle with scripture. Some of you struggle Believing or trusting in this ancient literature in the Bible. Some of you can't get over the contradictions, some of the things, the rhetoric in the Bible, some of the the questions that you have, you can't get over it. But today, I feel like God is asking, listen, I'm not asking you to trust in the Bible, but will you trust in me? And will you trust the Bible because you trust in me? I want to end with this illustration. I want you to imagine that there's this cup of water before you. And this cup is a biblical representation of well water. Okay. You know, like the story from the Bible about the woman at the well. So just imagine that this water, this cup is full of well water. And this water represents all the things that you've been drinking to try and satisfy your thirst. And I want you to ask, what areas of your life are you drinking water that leaves you thirstier than you were before you drank it? And I think many times when we think of the well water, we think of all the secular things in our lives. We think of Netflix or dating apps or porn or food. But today, I believe this water, this water that leaves you thirstier than you were before you drank it. I believe for some of us, it represents our attempts to read scripture, to read the Bible and the spiritual discipline that's supposed to be our source of life and strength has actually left us thirstier. And maybe you're like the Pharisees who you've been doing all the right things and you've been trying your hardest, but you still missed it. And maybe the problem isn't in the technique or in the effort But it's in the heart, in the posture. Now I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine the image of living water. Water that is teeming with life. Water that is so crystal clear. Water that looks so refreshing. I want you to ask yourself, what might it look like to replace your well water that leaves you so thirsty and so dry? with God's living water. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine this cup of well water in your hand. And in that cup is every struggle that you've had with scripture. In that cup is all your agendas, all your plans, your need for control. And as beautiful as the scriptures are, For some reason, you've approached it in a way where it brought more thirst. Where it brought more want. Now if you're ready, I want you to imagine yourself dumping out that old well water. Let it go. And I want you to imagine now with this empty cup that you're holding it in front of you. And I want you to say this simple, prayer. Fill me. Fill me with your living water. In this specific area, in approaching your scripture, fill me with the water that leaves me thirsting no more. God, I just feel a shift in so many of our hearts where we've tried and tried to approach your text where we tried and tried to read the Bible, where we tried and tried to try our best to understand scripture, but it left us so thirsty and something that's so beautiful, something that was meant for life actually became the source of deeper thirst, of deeper want. But in this season, I see you God pouring out that well water and I see you filling our emptiness with the living water. I see the scriptures in this season being a source of life and not death. I see the scriptures being a source of peace and joy like we've never known. I see the scriptures as being the very agent that leads us to transformation. I see these words of God leading us to encounter the word of God. And so this season, let the sword of your word cut us to divide all the things that are not of you to remove it and for us to approach with the right heart, with the right posture to approach scripture formationally and not informationally to lay down our own agendas, our own uses for scripture to lay down our need for control and to let the text master us to let the scriptures read us us and to trust in the word of God that will transform us and bring us life. Church, release your baggage, today. Let it go. Let go of the past. Let go of your past interactions with this text and just come with an openness and a yieldedness to letting this word transform us. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence. And in Jesus' mighty name, we pray, we say, amen. Amen, church. Are you excited? I am so excited. It's going to be a beautiful season, diving deeper into text, into the scripture, into the Bible. Listen, church, have an amazing week. Um, I'd encourage you, start. Start this week. Crack open your Bible. Dive into the word. Just try to approach it with a new posture, with a new heart, not expecting things to go your way or trying to use it for your own purposes, but come with an openness and a yieldedness, the right posture in approaching God. We love you. Have an amazing week and we'll see you next Sunday.